The O.D. Story. Did you see that dress rehearsal? Of course I seen it. Wasn't I in it? Working like I am now. Do you think they'll be able to make a go of it? Harry and Jimmy, is it? Yeah. Did you ever hear of an OG show these 27 years that didn't? You know what I've got to tell you now? These OG first nights will be the death of me. Bouquets and brickbats. Lost properties. Where do you think I was in the CIE? Last minute changes. Do you know what Harry had the audacity to do this afternoon? At the dress rehearsal, if you please. He changed the entire... Sure, right. Aye, 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 sir. It's time for the first call. Get him to make it snappy. The house is packed there. Turning them away in thousands. Aye, hey, boy, boy, you boy, here. Give him over to beginners, please. And an extra loud one for Mr. O'Day. Uh, yeah, you see what I mean? I suppose we should be thankful for the overture part of it. Overture and beginners, please. It's always the way. These call boys have the life ruined out of me. As soon as I start telling a yarn, there's always someone outside the dressing room with... Overture and beginners, please. You see? I suppose. That's right. But, well, tell us now, like a good man, Larry Morrow, what is it you want to know? What do I want to know? What everyone wants to know. I have the headline written already. It's the O.D. story. The O.D. story? Oh, you mean the O apostrophe D story. The story of Harry and myself. The 95 long and weary years we've been together. 27, Jimmy. Oh, there goes poor Harry. (laughs) (laughs) Always one for figures. Not that I haven't an eye for figures myself. (laughs) Between you and me, Harry should have been a chartered accountant. I'd need to be with you. Let me see now the O.D. story. It was Christmas Day in the workhouse. As a matter of fact, it wasn't Christmas Day at all, but it was a very near thing to being the workhouse. It was the winter of 1928. The most miserable, wettest, coldest winter I ever remember, no matter what the weather fellas tell you. And the tour of the English provinces I was with folded up at Birkenhead. Talk about the wreck of Birkenhead. The English wouldn't have the Irish at any price, or at least they wouldn't have us. The other members of the company, knowing the ropes better than I did, trooped back to Ireland. But me, we, the wife and myself, we thought we'd stay on. And in Birkenhead of all places, stay on in the hopes, if you please, that something would turn up, as if anything ever turned up in Birkenhead. For sheer nerve, we, uh, we had Mr. and Mrs. and all the little Micawbers beat to a frazzle. There we were, just round the corner from Liverpool, and only a night sail from Dublin, home and beauty, and down to our last half dollar. Why didn't we go back to Dublin? I'll tell you. To be quite honest with you, we were too proud. Too what have you proud? You know the way it is. The prodigal son who knows there's not going to be any blooming fatted calf business. I remember one night, in desperation, going into a pub. Yes, I went to a pub. <laughs> it was near closing time, and I hadn't had a drink all day. As seven as me judge, I hadn't had a drink. I had exactly fourpence halfpenny in me pocket. Last orders, gentlemen, please. Last orders, if you please, now. Come I on, looked round the pub. I fingered me precious fourpence halfpenny. I saw a notice above the bar. Extra strong ale. And extra strong was just the sort of thing I needed at that moment. So I moved into the bar 
I caught the barman's eye. Could you let's have a half pint, please, I said. A half pint of the extra strong ale. The half pint was pulled, put on the counter. I put down my last fourpence halfpenny. The barman looked at the money, then he looked at me, and says he... Hey, you're halfpenny short, Governor. The extra strong's fivepence. You wouldn't have needed a feather to have knocked me down. A halfpenny short. And I hadn't another tosser to bless myself with. I fumbled in my pockets, and all I had was a packet of cigarettes. Two cigarettes, to be exact. My last two. So I handed them to the barman. I'm awfully sorry, I said. And I was too. But I just haven't got another fluke. Maybe you'd take the cigarettes instead. <laughs> That's all right, Governor. Next time you're passing. Now then, gents, stop, please. Don't you? The next time I was passing... I hope the barman got over the shock, for I never passed that way again. <laughs> the next night we swallowed our pride. It was all we had to swallow. We sailed back to Dublin, broke to the wide. Absolutely. <laughs> Broke to the wide? Was that what you said, Jermaine? It was, Harry, and I'm sticking to it. I was in a worse fix. Oh, it couldn't be possible. It absolutely couldn't be possible. Ah, well, it was. I went out on a tour of Ireland with my own company, the first company in Ireland ever to play a review. I wrote it, I acted in it, I produced it. Well, what do you know? The trouble was, we were ten years too early. Too early? How come? Yeah. Maybe you don't remember what the small towns in Ireland were like 30 years ago. 30 years ago? Who do you take me for? Is it Willie John Ashcroft or Dan Lowry or someone like that? Well, 30 years ago, the small towns in Ireland hadn't even heard of a review. What they wanted was a melodrama and five acts, a comical farce, as they called it, a concert, all in one bill, all for sixpence. All for sixpence. When we brought them a review, they thought they'd been cheated. They just wouldn't have it. It was a terrible tour. We were booed, we were hissed. No. Things were thrown at us. Is that a fact? Then one night after the show, I won't say where it was, the that manager came round to my dressing room as I was taking off my makeup. Uh, come in. Mr. O'Donovan, Mr. O'Donovan, they're for wrecking the hallers. I hear them outside the stage door just now. Big fellas from beyond the town and they planning it. Planning what? To wreck the hall tomorrow night. You'll have to skip me the morning train. There's a nice milk train at half five. Look, Mr. Manager, we've contracted to play in this hall for six nights, and six nights we'll play. There'll be no skipping it, no matter what your big fellas from beyond the town threaten. But, Mr. O'Donovan, what about the hall? They'll wreck it. They'll burn it to the ground, the way the tans burn down the town hall. Me lovely new hall, electric lights and all. And think of the unemployment, Mr. O'Donovan. Think of the unemployment. There was no arguing with that. So we skipped it by the milk train. When I got back to Western Row, I'd paid off the company. I had exactly one and six in my pocket. Not even enough to pay the cartridge of the props and scenery from the station. We were back where we started from Dublin. Be the laughing cow it isn't me bold Harry O'Donovan. <laughs> Imagine meeting you here, Jimmy O'Dee, be all this... But I thought the stage were in England and the big money. The big money, is it, huh? Would you ever spare a copper for a poor old woman? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is that is. Oh, that's the way. They told me you were dashing around the country with a company all of your own. I suppose it'll be a new Rolls any day now. Ah, uh, no. To come clean, Jimmy, I am broke to the wide. I've got the scripts, I've got the company, I've got the... Yeah, you've got the scripts all right. The trouble is you, you've no comic to put them across. That's where you're wrong, Jimmy. I have comics, plenty of them. Ah, but you don't want plenty of them. You want one comic. Yeah. 
One good comic. All right, you are. One, can you guess what I'm going to say? First-rate comic. Oh, I have a grave suspicion. <laughs> yes, and I'm your man. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> well, no, to be honest, I never thought of that. You never an idea did. there, an idea, a big idea. If only, if only. If only what? If only, if only, if only... Well, there we were. The comic with no scriptwriter, the scriptwriter without a comic, and so we went ahead. Harry, what about the dough, the money? Um, never mind about that till the bills come in. Listen, Harry, I had a surprise today. I found an old post office savings book. I'm still nine quid to the good. It's ours. Oh, a millionaire. Well, with the capital of nine pounds, Jimmy O'Dea and Harry O'Donovan went into management with our first show at the Queen's, the show Look Who's Here. going on here? What do you think would be going on at the Queen's only a play? Well, it's not a play. It's a, it's a review. Look at Jimmy O.J. and Harry O'Donovan and look who's here. Who's Jimmy O.J.? Never heard of him. <laughs> not a Harry O'Donovan either. A review no less. In the poor old Queen's. <laughs> what will they be thinking of next? We hit the jackpot with our first show, Look Who's Here. It ran for, um... For a full fortnight, as somebody <laughs> we know says. <laughs> well, there was one sketch in it which I like to think first established Jimmy with Dublin audiences in a bigger way than he'd been accustomed to. Now, in this sketch was an old friend of ours, Face Sergeant, who had worked with us many a time before. It was a nice little sketch, a domestic sketch, called Buying the Furniture. And the scene took place in a modern furniture store. <laughs> Good morning, sir. Is this the give-it-away furniture company? Yeah. It is, sir. It is. Uh, what may I have the pleasure of doing for you? <laughs> well, you see, it's just like this. We've just been married, you know. <laughs> ah, don't be telling everybody, John Judd. <laughs> You're a whist, will you whist? Won't our photos be in the Skibbereen Eagle tomorrow? And, and, and the whole world will know... This is, this is Mary Josephine, sir. Mary Josephine. Isn't she gorgeous? Ah, John Jones! Let, let, let me expatiate. Ah, look, Whatever you, that is. You'll have everyone laughing at us. 
Shut up, Willow. Shut up. Shut up. Uh, you snapped your bossy tactics already. And, 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 and we only married a week. Uh, listen, gentlemen, please. Um, uh, perhaps you better see the furniture. Oh, all right, sir. Excuse us. I, I suppose you're married yourself, sir. Oh, yes, indeed, sir. Yes, indeed. I have four children. Four? Have you, sir? Oh, we were thinking of having six. John, John. <laughs> John, John. That's what you said yourself. That was your estimate, not mine. <laughs> Hello, um, hello, sir. Uh, I have some, I have some beautiful sweets. Oh, sweet. Oh, thank you, sir. That's very kind of you. But we're not eating sweets. <laughs> you see, we had four jam dishfuls at the wedding. You see, and ah, silly. He means suits. Oh, suits. Oh. <laughs> I, I've got three suits, sir: a black one, a checky one, and a shiny one. <laughs> Suits of furniture. Oh. Uh, just look here, sir, for a moment. Uh, here is the last word in beds. The la- oh, that should suit Mary Jo, all right. She always has the last word in bed. <laughs> Do I? Do I? Can't you take a joke? You're getting very agnostic all of a sudden. I never said ah, anything. Ah, shut I up. Never... You're interrupting the man and he's trying to show me the wooden knee bed. Can't you stop talking for a second? Now, Get listen, I would like to show you this. I know. She, she's not used to the city, you know. Oh, so quite, like quite. Now, this is a spiral this... springtime. Oh, oh, if you were talking about dipping sheep, now she'd leave you standing. <laughs> uh, will you be quiet? Oh, yes, I am now, sure she could. Father, her father was a dinger at it. He'd dip a live sheep, as the Americans do say. You know uh, what I mean? would you listen oh, to the man? Oh, she's cutting her leather. It has occurred to me, sir, that you might like twin beds. <laughs> What's that? Twin beds. Twin beds? Mary Jo, come out of here. Come out of this, man. No, no. Ah, what's wrong? Will you let me go? What? Let what? me go. Didn't you hear what he said? Listen, sir, we'll make our own arrangements, thanking you. Let him mind his own business. Ah, no, 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 you mistake me, sir. Uh, he means two beds, not one. Oh, he's very smart, isn't he? I suppose he wanted us to buy two pianos and two mangles as well. Ah, no, 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 sir, two beds. Why so? I've only got one wife. Ah, will you dry up? I'll buy the things. Two beds, you want. Listen, I'll, I'll have that suit of bedroom furniture bed and what? the oak set for the dining room oak and the kitchen dresser and chairs. Two beds, the man And armchairs. Armchairs. Yes, and 15 yards of that red carpet and 10 yards of linoleum. Have, and have two linoleums while you're at it. I, I, I think that's all. Did you think of, of a corkscrew? I thought you didn't. Well, I'm very sorry, sir. Uh, we don't sell corkscrews. No, you look at. I thought you didn't. This is a rotten shop. I don't mind him, sir. Now, what does that come to? Well, that'll be thirty pounds for the bedroom suite, a suit, <coughs> and oh, no. another thirty. That's sixty and ten, seventy, eighty. Ah, uh, wait a while now. Wait now. Ten, fifteen, twenty-five. Ah, uh, Mary Jo, stop it. That'll be a hundred and thirty pounds ah, altogether. Ah, stop it, Doc. No, this is oh. going too far. Oh. Ah, thank you, sir. And now. Here is the five-shilling deposit. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, madam. The next installment will be due in six months, and every six months after that. Here is your fire insurance and life insurance policy, sickness benefit, tickets for the international rugby match, a signed photograph of every member of parliament, a piece of the Blarney Stone, a packet of shamrock seeds, and permission to shake hands with the Lord Mayor. Oh, oh thank you, sir. Thank you, madam. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Come along, John Joe. What are you gawking at? Come on. And they told me Santa Claus was dead. (laughs) Well, well, that 
that was the start of the Odeo Donovan partnership, though we didn't know it at the time what was ahead of us. Weren't we lucky? And then one day, <laughs> Jimmy came to me with a great idea. You mean you came to me with a great idea? Oh, actually, we had the same idea simultaneously. Why, Why not do a pantomime? A pantomime for Christmas. And so recklessly and flushed with success. Speak for yourself, Harry. <laughs> we decided to do a pantomime, any pantomime. What about dear little Red Riding Hood? Our babes in the wood. Can you see me as the widow twanky, a real swanky twanky? Aladdin would be too difficult. We could try Jack and the Beanstalk. As if the Beanstalks were in season round Christmas, what? which I doubt very much, but still... Well, the trouble was that there was simply no place in Dublin in the country either where we could lay hands on suitable scenery. Once again, we were up a gum tree, and then one day, I spotted an advertisement in the uh, stage, the theatrical paper, I think it was. For I, a scenery of all descriptions, pantomimes a speciality, wide range of transformation scenes, please address all inquiries to Burton Twistle, 209 Giggleswick Terrace, Charlton... And from... so we set off to Charlton from Hardy, or wherever it was. Mm. This scenery merchant will have some wonderful stuff, Harry. Yeah, he should have, all right. Do you think we might have Alibaba and the Forty Thieves? I'd love to do Alibaba. I remember once when I was a chiseler, I thought I'd a great idea. Well, we arrived at Charlecombe Walsall, or whatever it was, and we found our way to a large, dingy warehouse. You couldn't see anything because it was so dark. And then the little man we come to see struck a match. And for a second I thought it was in Aladdin's cave. Everything seemed sparkling and glittering. Hey, what do you think about that, lad? Eh? The Diamond Valley. The genuine, original set of the Diamond Valley. 237,000 sequins and stitched on first quality canvas. Hey, I'm painted by the finest scene painter in North Country. It's a gift, laddie. It's a gift at any price. Well, I'm afraid, you see... 237,000 sequins. 750,000 spangles, all and stitched. Just like the bonnet and cape my poor old granny used to wear. Only bigger, of course. Much bigger. But listen, uh, could we see something a little less, a little more? Uh, haven't you got Little Red Riding Hood? No. Haven't you Alibaba? No. What about the babes in the wood? No. Haven't you Aladdin? I love... No. Is it Noah's Ark you're trying to sell us? <laughs> No. No, 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 no. What other pantomime scenery have you? What other pantomime scenery? Well, I ask you, what other pantomime scenery would you need? I ask you now. Yes. So you haven't any other scenery. <clears throat> I think we'd better be moving, Jimmy. Hey, oh. but what about Diamond Valley, my lovely Diamond Valley? Uh, we went away, but there was nothing for it. So we came and bought his lovely Diamond Valley. And need I say, enormous, enormous expense. expense. And that's how it happened, and that's how our first pantomime was one that no one had seen in Dublin for years, Sinbad the Sailor. on with the story, it was while we were playing in Irish Smiles and Cock that we had our first big break. One night during the interval, Jimmy burst into my dressing room. Harry, Harry! Yes? Well, there's a man outside. He says he's from Sir Oswald Stoll. No. You know, the big producer oh, fellow in course, London. Yeah. He says he's got a contract for us. Oh. A contract, do you hear? A contract to appear in Manchester, in London. If only we'll sign. If only we'll sign it. Is my hair straight? Listen. <laughs> 
Did uh, did he say how much he wanted? Was it a fiver or just the usual? Ah, no, no, you don't get me, Harry. No, this fellow's real. He's honest. I, I saw him with my own eyes. I, 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 I touched him. You touched oh, uh, You touched him? I, I mean, uh, uh, on the sleeve of his coat, of course. I mean, uh, look at me. Would you ever get rid of him? I've had enough touchers hanging around me this week, Sir Oswald Stone. No, 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 no. What will no. he be thinking up next? Harry, Harry, listen. Well, Jimmy got rid of him. I don't know how he did. And then next morning, as we sat over a late breakfast in our hotel, a Mr. Johnston was announced. As the dining room door opened, Jimmy shot one glance at it, shot another at me, and he whispered, Here comes the toucher. You, you, you mean to say... Uh... Uh, good morning, gentlemen. I'm uh, from Sir Oswald Stoll. Sir Oswald is wondering if you'd be interested in a spot of touring on the other side. Manchester, Shepherd's Bush, and, of course, if everything goes to plan, the Coliseum London. The Coliseum! It was a true bill, all right. The last town in Ireland we played in before we sailed for Manchester was Kilkenny. In those days, we advertised the show with a poster of a large shamrock and insert on the leaves, two portraits of Jimmy and one of me. For all the world, like old-fashioned picture postcards, you see of... of uh, the heroes of our land. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, as I was coming to the theatre on our last day before leaving for Manchester, I saw an old tramp looking up at the poster and muttering to himself. Glory be, Alan Larkin and O'Brien. We are the holy, the Manchester martyrs. <laughs> We played three of the Stoll theatres before we reached the Coliseum. We did smashing business and the audience took us with open arms. But we had still the West End before us. Well, now, as we were packing our props in St. Helens, Lancashire, on the Sunday morning, hurrying to catch the Drundon train, the stage manager wished us goodbye. Now, where are you playing next week? The, the Coliseum. Hey, but there be dozens of Coliseums hereabouts. Which one? The, the London, London Coliseum. Oh, don't you wish you were, lads? <laughs> <laughs> Coliseum, on the same bill as Billy Bennett, Josie Collins, and Phyllis Needs and Terry. It was the week of the Derby, and outside the theatre in St. Martin's Lane, there was a gigantic poster of Jimmy astride a donkey, whipping his mount with, if you please, a shillelagh. But worse was to follow, for inside the theatre, with the programme and chocolate girls, were dressed up as coolines. And the doormen togged out in tailcoats, knee breeches, and paddy hats with clay pipes stuck in them. 
And to crown all, the assistant manager was made up in lace ruffles to look like Hardest Cregan and the Colleen Bond. Seats this way, big gorra. Chocolates and cigarettes, Pichaiba. Would you be off to buying a programme, sir? There you are. That's what it was like. I was in a rage for what could I do. And the show had to go on. Next morning, Jimmy and I bearded Sir Oswald in his den. After listening to us in silence for fully ten minutes, he shook his head. We talked to him for another ten minutes, and he still shook his head. Then I said to him, look, Sir Oswald, if some of the people out of the Gaelic League come in and see those pipes and those hats, they take them out and crush them under their heels. Will you please take them out? And Sir Oswald did. The amount honourable to the G.R.R. <laughs> Coliseum audiences had never seen anything quite like us, but they laughed, and that's what mattered. I remember there was one sketch brought the house down. It was called The Last Drink. There were only three of us in it, Noel Purcell, Harry and myself. The scene was a public house near the docks. It went something like this. Should old acquaintance be forgotten and never Please come in, I'll be losing my license. Ah, just one, Mr. Burton, just one. I'm off to America, and I want to leave the shores of Aryan with a lingering taste of its most famous product on me lips. Ah, that's all very well, but it'll, it'll be too late. Here, you see, there, there's the boat. You see, there's, there's the boat sounding. Do you hear? You'll miss it. Ah, uh, just one for old time's sake. Well, if the police come in here, they won't be letting me off for old time's sake. Ah, uh, uh, still, if you're if you're if you're going off from the boat, I suppose I'll catch give you a drink. You're a decent man. You're a decent man. What do you have, Stephen? Uh, a small whiskey. Good. Uh, what are you having yourself, Mr. B? Oh, thank you very much, sir. I'll have a large whiskey. A large. <laughs> You'll have a small one, the same as any ordinary Christian. <laughs> And I'll have a pint. All right, all right, all right. But now, will you, will you keep quiet while I'm outside getting the drinks? That's all right now, Mr. Borden. I'll keep him quiet. You, you keep me quiet. I'll keep you quiet. You and who else? What? It'll take a better man than you to keep me quiet. Did you ever hear what the immortal bard said? You mean the immortal bard? Ah, no, you're thinking of Belfield and Brady. Go on now, go on now, gents. Here's your drinks, here's your drinks. And, mister, look, let me tell you one thing. The boat won't wait for you. Well, if the boat won't wait for Jimmy Burke of 351 R. Francis Street, then it's the wrong boat. Am I right? You're dead right. Hey, Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, one thing now. Don't forget to give that message to me, Uncle Ned. Oh, I'll give the message to what, you. What, what's the message? Tell him me mother will write next Monday. Uh, what the... What are you talking about? Should I won't get there till next Tuesday. But you're listen, when it's Tuesday over there, it'll be last Monday over here. Oh, that's odd. What? When it's Tuesday over there, it'll be last Monday over here. Oh, I see. Down night. When I, if I get over to America next Tuesday, I'll be still here last Wednesday. <laughs> ah, no, no, no. You see, you see, America is behind us. No, behind us, that's yeah. Sure, if it was behind us, I'd have to go to it backwards. <laughs> That's no, ridiculous. No, no, Jimmy, you, you don't understand. It's behind time is what I mean. Oh, behind time. As you're getting up in the mornings, the Americans are still asleep. Americans still asleep? Yes. Sure, how the, 
How do they know what time I get up? <laughs> ah, Jimmy, no, I know. Listen, they don't get up till after you get up. Oh, I see. Then, like, if I sleep it out here in Dublin, <laughs> half of the Americans is late for their work. Ah, no, listen, listen. It doesn't matter to them if you never got up. I'm very glad to know that because I wouldn't like to be howling up the American continent. Come on, now, come on, now, gents. Come on, here's the thing, so drink up. Here, there's the boat now. Go on. Pretty up, pretty up. Come on, come on. Listen, am I going to America or are you? Listen, you're an awful man, but I suppose as you're going, I'll have to give you another. Come on, drink uh, up and have a last thing. That's the best piece I heard since the elections. Now, come on, come on. Now, quick, now, quick. Now, drink it quick. Okay. You know, that's the American lingo for... Okay. Oh. Well, anyhow, here's good luck, lads. Oh, well, here's luck to you. Good luck. Thank you, Mitch. Oh, have a great swally. <laughs> God, I, ne- I, ne- I never seen a man drink a pint so quick as that. This is the age of speed, Mr. Burton. <laughs> I'll have another pint. Oh, I'd another one if you, you would. Ah, oh, you're a decent man. I won't be a tick now. Come here. Come here, Stephen. Oh, That's oh. a decent man. Oh. Listen, what did you mean by saying that when it's next Tuesday in America, it's Wednesday over here? Like ah, but sure, when it's Christmas here, it's boiling hot summer in Australia. Boiling hot summer. Huh? What'll poor Santa Claus do? Ask me, I. What? I... Oh, that's vulgar. Uh, no, that's I never vulgar. said it. No, I didn't no, say it. ask me, I. No, everyone knows. No, listen, no. listen. Australia's on the other side of the world. If you dug a hole right through the world, you'd come up in Australia. Who the devil wants to dig a hole right through the water? I, mean, that, I have stupid. the foggiest idea. I just don't... On the, on the face of it, that's stupid. Now, listen, here, come on, come on. There's the sound of the boat going now. Come on, come on now. Wait till I take me point, will you? You can't. You may either miss the boat to America or miss your point. Is that so? Then tell Mr. Roosevelt not to expect me. Cheerio. <laughs> Well, the first night audiences gave us a terrific hand and we were thrilled by it. The other artists seemed to think us good too, especially Billy Bennett and Josie Collins, and that we felt was praise indeed. At the end, the audience kept shouting and stamping and cheering long after we'd taken our curtain call. Everything backstage was in a whirl, getting ready for the next turn. Stage hands and scene shifters dashing around. But over the noise, I could still hear the applause for Irish smiles. As I turned to go back to my dressing room, the stage manager grabbed me and shoved me onto the stage again, in front of the curtain to face the house. I bowed and I bowed, and the audience applauded and cheered. And then I felt behind me for the divide in the curtain, so as to make a graceful exit backwards. I found it, and with one last bow, boldly stepped backwards. The next second, bump, crash, bang. (laughs) All I could remember was the roars of the audience as I whirled to the space, flat on my back. What had happened was, I'd stepped farther back than I should have done, right onto the revolving stage, which was whirling round in readiness for the next scene.
Will you, will you ever forget that English tour after the Coliseum, oh, Harry? Yes. We tour the whole of the country from south to north. What audiences, what landladies. Do you remember the old one at Muggleton come Giggleswick, or whatever it was? Oh, you mean the Ash Wednesday lady? Yes, this decent old soul. She did all she could to make us comfortable as well as she might because it was miserable weather. It was a miserable little town, and the day was Ash Wednesday. The day before, we'd reminded her that the following day, being Ash Wednesday, would mean something different in our cooking and eating arrangements. Ash Wednesday, we reminded her, not ringing, of course, that she wouldn't understand. All that morning, coming up to lunchtime, she kept fussing in and out of the kitchen, into the sitting room and out again. I noticed that she kept saying to herself... Ash Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Lunchtime. We trooped into the dining room on the third stroke of the gong, expecting to see black tea, maybe a bit of cheese, the usual sparse Ash Wednesday stuff, including the sackcloth. As we sat down, in comes old Mother Muggleton with a simply enormous dish of steaming stew. You never saw anything like it. It was mountains high, with great big gobbets of juicy meat sticking out of it, and the smell of it. Irish stew, Lancashire hot pot, what have you. Excuse me, ma'am, I said as she put it down. I'm afraid. I'm afraid this is a day of fasting and abstinence for us poor Irish Catholics. We just couldn't, you see, I mean... A day of what, did you say? Fasting? But you told me it was Ash Wednesday. I made you ash, the loveliest ash that was ever made in Muggleton. <laughs> Eventually, we came to Ireland like Kathleen Mavarnine, and we're glad to be back. We had done good business and could get all the dates we wanted. Jimmy was being established as a number one comedian. Come, come. But there was something, he liked something. And the odd That's thing was, neither of us, though we felt it, could put a finger on it. One winter's night, Christmas Eve it must have been, he and I were coming out of the Radio Airden after doing a broadcast. The show hadn't gone down quite as well as he expected, and I was wondering why. As we pushed through the crowds in Henry Street, trying to get across to Moore Street for a drink, to drown our sorrows in... I kept saying to myself, George Roby's got eyebrows, a cane and a bowler hat. He's the Prime Minister of Mirth. Charlie Chaplin's got the moustache, the big boots. He's the little man. Little Tish, little Tish has... Uh... In the name of... What's come over you, Harry? You know you were nearly be knocked down that time. Who was I, was I? Well, uh, I was just thinking, Jimmy. Just thinking... What is it the others have and you haven't? You see, George Roby, you never mistake him. A pair of eyebrows, a little bowler hat, a cane, a coat with a clerical cut and no collar. And there's no mistaking him. The very moment he steps on the stage. But you, Jimmy O'Dee, you might be anyone or everyone. If only, if only we could think up a character for you. If only... Just as we were slipping into Humphrey's pub, I heard something. It was an old one. A little old one in a bonnet and shawl, giving out to a man. A great big lump of a fella who'd had a sup too much to drink. Kalong, Kalong, you mean, Bowsy. <laughs> it was true for me poor mother when she said it. It would be a better for me to be tied to an old bullock's tail and kicked to death than to be married to the likes of you. But didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? I got the tip from a man who had the straight from a fella who said he was Joe County's cousin. <laughs> the horse should have won. It should have won, but it didn't. At that moment, the pub door swings open and out comes a big man in a new trilby hat, a brand new overcoat and smoking an enormous cigar, the picture of prosperity. He was one of Dublin's best-known bookies. 
Look at that, look at that, and to think of me standing here on me poor unfortunate feet from morning to night, selling tomatoes, oranges, and good ripe pears, so that I can keep the likes of that one walking around in his Rolls Royce. You ought to be ashamed of yourself the way it is. If it wasn't for the like of me helping the likes of you to keep the likes of him walking around in his Rolls Royce. Jimmy looked at me, our eyes met, and in that split second was born. Well, Mrs. Mulligan was around well right from the start. Her first appearance on the stage was in a sketch entitled Sixpence Each Way. The scene was a bookie's office somewhere in Dublin. Hey, Charlie. Charlie, am I late for a bet on the first race? No, you're not. It's just one, and the first race isn't until 1.20. Oh, all right. Sixpence each way on Walter Spryat. On what? Walter Spryat, are you deaf? So are you, Doctor. Have a look. Oh, you... Walter Spryat. What did you think I said? Porter Spryat. It's a good thing you don't spell it the way you speak it, or you'd never be paid on it, even if it did win. What do you mean, even if it did win? Are you a great tip about it? Oh, wait a second. Give me my shilling back for a minute. Listen, do you want the money on or not? I do, I do. But you've upset me mind now, even if it did win. Look, if I back the favourites at 11 to 2 on, what do I get back for me sixpence each oh, way? Listen, don't be bothering me. Yes, oh yes. Hello, hello. Yes, sir. Right. Two and six each way rolling pin. First race, five shillings. Right, sir. Thank you. Rolling pin. That's in the same race as Walter Spryer's. Does the paper chip that one? Yes, 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 some of them. But didn't it sprain a fret lock or something last week? No! What does it say about it in the Newmarket Gallops? Did you do a rattling seven furlongs at a useful pace or anything Look, like that? Look, will you gallop out of my sight, for heaven's sake? And I'm busy. Don't be getting so cross. Rolling pin. This is me day for baking griddle cakes, so I think I'll chance me bob on that one. Now listen, will you chance it on something for the love of Mike and don't be standing in people's way? Oh, very well. Keep your hair on. Sixpence each way on rolling pin. Now, wait a second. Let this gentleman in. Oh, Come excuse in, sir. me, sir. I'm very yeah. sorry, sir. That's all right, sir. Credit half. Ticket, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Oh. Good morning, madam. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Oh, it's all right, sir. You're welcome. Hey, Charlie. Charlie. How was he backing? Mind your own business. Oh. Here, take your ticket. Tanner each way rolling pin. You're more trouble than you're worth. That gentleman put on ten pounds. It didn't take a minute about it. Turtle dove, too. First bet I've had on that one today. Turtle dove? That's in the first race, too, with water sprite and rolling pin. Wait a minute. I think I'll change my docket. You're going to a bark at yourself. How many more will you fancy? Don't be impotent, or I'll place my commissions elsewhere in future. <laughs> I, I only wish you would, you and your sixpence each way and your thruppany up and down trebles. You are very impertinent, I must say. It's no wonder they're putting a tax on you. Yes, uh, wait a minute, wait. Hello, hello. Yes, this is Max. Oh, is that Mr. O'Reilly? Yes, sir. Ten pounds to win, yes, and four pounds a place, right. On Rumping Raymond. That's all right, sir. The first race. Rumping Raymond. I never noticed that one. Is it among the arrivals? You've no right. You've no right to be listening into my telephone conversations. I have a cousin named Raymond in Australia. I think I'll chance the arm on rumping Raymond. Uh, morning, John. Excuse me, Mrs. Mulligan. I'm in a hurry. Uh, oh. Take the stock of John, will you? Yes, you are. Red Rover. Yes, that's Each right. Each way. Okay. Oh, the first race. Okay. There you are. There's your ticket. Thanks. Come on, John. Red Rover. Here. Tenor East Way, Rumping Raymond. Take your ticket and go. Is Red Rover one of Harris's horses? Oh, Jimmy Boyle must have had a word about it or he wouldn't be backing it in such a hurry. Listen, here's your ticket. Wait a minute. Did Red Rover win his last race? Would you take your ticket and get out of my sight? Ah, it's your own fault for putting me off a water surprise. I'm not going to... 
I'm not going to risk my money without your consideration. Now, listen here. Take your shilling and go and buy bullseyes with it. I'll report you to your boss, so I will. The likes of me that helps the, uh, him to buy his roses rices for him. Uh, very well. Take your shilling and go and buy one for yourself. Put me shilling on Red Rover. Now, you're too late. Here's the results of the first race. Hello? Hello, hello. Oh, hello? Yes. First race. Yes. One by ten lengths by what? Water Sprite. Water? Water Sprite? What's the SP? Yes. Twenty to one. Twenty to one? Oh, me, your mother. There goes me with the coat. You and your Water Sprite. Leave me alone. Take that. Take that. Now, the next phase in the O'Dea Donovan story was when we went to Belfast first with our show. We kept our, Christ- our fingers crossed, especially with Jimmy doing his now famous number, Orange and Green. Pity me, folks. My sad plight can be seen. Half of me's orange, the other half green. An unfortunate hybrid upon the world cast. My mother's from Dublin. Madars from Belfast. There's only one spot where in peace I may bide. That's to sit on the border with a foot on each side. You may say just pretend that you're north or you're south. But the lie just refuses to come from my mouth. For the orange and green is so mixed in my blood that I wouldn't be one of the two if I could. I'd be much better off as a Chinese or black or an unfortunate bloke like a Czechoslovak. If you're Cork or you're Kerry, rebel songs you may sing. If you come from Belfast, you may shout for the king. But while God save the king cuts the green to the quick, a single up there makes the orange half sick. So you see what I owe to my father and mother. Why couldn't they both have been one or the other? On every July, when the glorious twelfth comes, the orange half thrills to the sound of the drums. But the green in my system gets bothered and hot, and my tonsils gets into a horrible knot. For while one shouts the soldier song all through the day, the other is trying to sing Dolly's Bray. Last night in my bed, had a curious dream. I dreamt that the orange was merged with the green. I sat down to dinner, all merry and bright, with Craig on my left hand and Dev on my right. And though dreams go contrary between me and you, even nightmares like that have been known to come through. Well, it went down terrific, and the next morning, Jimmy received from an anonymous admirer from Sandy Row a parcel. Inside was a beautifully made silk shirt, one side of it bright orange and the other bright green. Just to show there was no ill feeling, like. Well, by this time, all Ireland was our oyster, and Mrs. Mulligan was becoming a national character. Talking about touring, we had enough adventures to fill a book. That's what we did, printed. 
Do you remember the, do you remember the story about the fire station? Oh, the fire station. If we tell that one, we'd better mention no names. Oh, no, no place names, names anyhow. No pack. Well, it was a small town somewhere in Ireland. There was no regular theatre, and we had to fit into the smallest town hall I've ever seen. It was so small, the backstage, there was only three very small dressing rooms. Oh, Tom remembers it. Yeah. Made it very awkward, so we were travelling quite a large company. The result was that the bulk of the male members of the company had to dress and undress and make up in the building next door. Which happened, if you please, to be the garage or stable or whatever you call it, of the local fire engine. Yes, well, you see, these members of the company had to do all their changes and make up on the actual fire engine. There was no room elsewhere. Well, hearing that the boys weren't feeling too happy in their dressing room, I went round to see them before we rang up on the second night. It was the most wonderful sight you ever saw. A quite large, bleak-looking shed in the middle, a wonderful, shining, new red-painted fire engine, all brass and hose pipes, simply draped from bow to stern, master keel in men's clothes and underclothes, jackets, trousers, shirts, socks, singlets, and what have you. Well, what have you. I turned to the captain of the fire brigade who was standing by. I said to him, now, it'll be a bit awkward, I said, wouldn't it, if a fire was to break out in the town just now? Like, I wouldn't like to think... Ah, yeah, don't be minding about a thing like that. So we never have a fire here. Yes, no, but supposing now that there should be one... Yeah, what odds? It wouldn't affect you at all. But, like, what about the fire engine here? Like, wouldn't it be a bit strange to see it dashing into action with the boys' shirts and trousers and what have you hanging on it? The fire engine, is it? Uh, Should we never get it out of the building, anyhow? You see, the way it is, four years ago come match, we had a bit of a fire in the building itself. And when they built the new doorway with the engine inside, they built it so small that we could never get the engine out. <laughs> the engine just sits here, it's the fireman goes out. <laughs> Not the fire. Well, one of the most popular Mrs Mulligan sketches on tour, no matter where we played, was Mrs Mulligan in court. You know it probably, the scene is in a police court. We shall now take the case of James Phelan Plummer versus Mrs. Mulligan Widow for breach of promise. Call the plaintiff. Mrs. Mulligan! Mrs. Mulligan! Mrs. Mulligan! Ah, but where would you see a fine woman like me? Biddy Mulligan, the pride of the coop. May boys, Biddy Mulligan, the pride of the coop. Oh, silence, Robert. Silence. Quiet, please. Ah, uh, how are you, Judge? Put it there. It's a long time since I've seen you. You're looking smashing. Did you get over your operation? Please quiet, please. I'm only talking to this gent here. Pardon quiet, yourself. Please, quiet, please, quiet, please, madam. Quiet. It's all right, Judge. It's all right. I'm talking to the gent here with the red cloak and the purple nose. <laughs> How dare you, woman? Now, maybe it's indigestion. I do suffer myself sometimes. There's something awful. Uh, that'll right? do now, madam, now, madam. madam. Madam, when I'm in my little fish shop, the folks don't call me madam. Well, you're not in your fish shop now. Oh, well, there's enough old cards present to make me think I was. <laughs> my lord... That's only a joke, my lord. Quiet, quiet. My lord, I appear for the defendant, Lawrence Phelan, plumber by profession. Plumber by profession, plumber by inclination. Oh, what I went through with that fellow over there is nobody's business, day in and day out. No, no, Never. No. All right, all right, all right, all right. Do enough. you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Ah, what sort of an easy did he take me for? <laughs> Madam, you must take the oath. I'll take the oath, and you'll get no change out of me, I'm telling you. Now, Mrs. Mulligan, I understand that you have been married three times. Married three times, correct me, Onion. Johnny Walker is only trotting after me. <laughs> Please tell the court, what was your first husband? My first husband, he was a carpenter. A carpenter in a jam factory. Uh, 
Well, what was a carpenter doing in a jam factory? He used to make the pips for the raspberry jam. <laughs> please, please. That's only a quip, Your Honor. You know what I mean? I read that somewhere. Very well, madam, very well. Well, what was your second husband? A bowsy, pure and simple. <laughs> oh, a proper bummer. What I went through with that fellow was nobody's business. Worse than the... Oh, no, you have madam, no idea. Please. No, 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 no. I oh, mean... day in, day out, never order, let up, Your Honor. Order, order, I'll have a slow pint, She'll Your Honor. Pint well, you said order. I didn't know what you meant. No, I want to know what did he work at? What did he work at? He was a coal porter. I see. He spent his days shifting coal. And spent his nights shifting porter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, what I put up with him. Oh, yes, what a man he was. If ever there was a dog track with an electric pint, he'd be a human Mick the Miller. uh, I see, uh, he was a caveman. No, sir, a ballyfermit man. Well, now, please, uh, what was your third husband? He was a trumpet player. Trumpeter, what were you sounding? He sort of blew his way into my heart, then he blew off to the war and got blew up at the front. Of course, before that, he was a jockey. Ah, jockey. On the flat? Well, usually on the flat of his back. But... And now, my lord, my lord, we come to the fourth victim, Mr. Phelan. Oh, wake him up. He doesn't know he's alive. <laughs> Where did you first meet this man? I met him at a dance, a Cinderella dance. He sort of walked into my life and danced all over my feet. Ah. <laughs> you danced? And what then? Well, what do you think? Use your imagination. Yes? Well, we, uh, we sat out. Uh-huh. Ah, they sat out. Can you picture them, my lord, sitting out in that rose-laden bower? Rose-laden bower? Are you cutting yourself? <laughs> Easy seen you don't know the Phoenix Hall. It's the... <laughs> it's the steps we sat out on. And then what happened? Well, well, like he looked at me. And yes. I looked at him. Yes. He gazed at me. He gazed at you. Then I... Yes. Gazed at him. Yes. Then he circumvented me. Yes. And... Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, you dirty old man. Uh, I see you... Uh, <laughs> Now, Mr. Phelan. I say, uh, <laughs> Mrs. Mulligan, uh, you married in haste. That's right, Your Honour. I married in haste uh. and repented in the comb. <laughs> and now, Mr. Phelan, will you please tell the court when you proposed to this woman, what did she call you? She called me her little plumsy wumsy. <laughs> it's a lie. It's a lie. Let me at him. No, no, Let no, me no, at no, him. Stand back, Let me at him. No, that's that's enough. enough. I dismiss no, the case. Please, please. Dismiss the case. Case dismissed. Do I get no damages? Madam, there will be no damages. Begum, there will be damages. Let me at him. Yeah, no. I'll wipe oh, his oh, joints oh, oh, for oh, him. But she's taking off his pants. She's pulling off his trousers. What's going on here? I've got me breeches of promise. By this time, we were playing regularly in the gaiety twice nightly. Yes. Do you remember? Do you remember one night we were slipping in by the stage door, Harry? There was a queue down the street as far as Mercer's. Yeah. And there, looking up at the poster, was a wee small man with a battered old bowler hat and a pram in front of him. Do you remember what he said? <laughs> Glory be. Twice nightly. Jimmy O'Dee and Harry O'Donovan at the gaiety. <laughs> the gaiety has gone to hell. Well, it was round about this time that we thought we'd poke a little bit of harmless fun at our colleagues in the radio business, Sponsored Radio. 
And this one was entitled Brighter Broadcasting, and this is what it sounded like. You've just heard two new numbers. Your love is not dead, it's unconscious. And dear one, will you take my appendix? Your sister has taken my heart. This program is coming to you by courtesy of Stamer's Little Stomach Pills, which remove those unwanted bags from under your eyes. First news bulletin. Above Orpington, owned by a county-down lady, was given a glass of whiskey last night to try and cure herself of a cold. But unfortunately, the fowl has since died after an unsuccessful attempt to lay egg flips. Uh, think of it. You may have suitcases in your hands, but why have bags under your eyes? Stamer's little stomach pills will cure them. We are now taking you over to the pine forest where we hope to get the sound of the nightingale. Ah, we're through. Stop it, Charlie. You kiss me again and tell me mother. Ooh! <laughs> Sorry, wrong bird. <laughs> Second news bulletin. There is a deadlock on the strike of the Jam Makers Union owing to the refusal of some of the leaders to have the apricot jam packed in Ireland. The directors say that they must have the apricot packed abroad, but they will be delighted to give the Irish workers the raspberry at any time. Oh, and uh, here is an SOS. If Mr. Aloysius Murphy of Dandelion House Marino, who left in a hurry in the middle of his dinner, is listening, will he please return at once as he has left his kidneys on the plate? If you have noises in your head, Stamer's little stomach pills will be sweet music in your ear. One half penny stamp will get you a generous sample sufficient to take one bag from under one eye. <laughs> Miss, uh, Miss Newlong Higarty will be unable to give her usual Chinese lesson today as she has gone to visit her mother in Wigan. But she has left the following message for our pupils. Okay, okay, kow chow, kow chow, dosa, kakalongu. Uh, which means the Glasgow boat sails at 9.30. People who take Stamer's little stomach pills will have no need of an alarm clock in the mornings. <laughs> and now, mister, how do we stick them in? Will give us a short talk on gardening. It's strange that so many people who have gardens do not know how simple it is to make them beautiful. You seldom see the Pentamagorin or the charming Pertellamagorius in ordinary gardens, or the Olivioris or the common Systematorius of the uh, Philodragia family, all of which may be bought in penny packets. Next week we will have a talk on cabbage. Um, good evening, everybody. <laughs> and here is another SOS. Mr. Murphy need not come home now as the cat has eaten his kidneys. <laughs> Oxford bags may keep your eyes, legs warm, but science has proved that bags under the eyes are practically no use at all. Take steamers, little stomach pills, and your eyes will be bright and bagless. We are now going over to the Café Rings Inn for dance music until midnight. You are now listening to the new waltz, the trite presser's love from the musical comedy Cowheel Kate. Don't forget Steamer's little stomach pills will prevent bags. I said bags. <laughs> And one day early in the war, we found ourselves up the proverbial gum tree. One of our best artists, May Tipple, had suddenly announced her intention of going off and getting married. And there was simply no one we could think of to take our place. Jimmy and I sat in our dressing room one night, long after the show, cudgelling our brains. When suddenly Jimmy said to me... Listen, what about that little girl? You know, the chiseler. What chiseler? Ah, you know, the, the little dancer. The one who was in England with Jack Hilton. Oh, you mean... Uh, 
Dead on cue, as usual. Maureen, did you hear us talking about you? Hello. You two boys look as if you're telling somebody your life story. That's exactly what we were doing, up to a point. Uh, point. <laughs> <laughs> well, meet our biographer, Larry Morrow. This is Maureen Potter. Larry. You are just telling him the story of how you were... Uh... Do you two boys not realise that the curtain's up and that it's been up for hours and hours and hours? Now, wait a moment, wait now, wait now. You, you've simply got to meet Maureen. Do you remember that first sketch you did with us, Maureen? Oh, you mean the one about the totties? Oh. With me as the fur her young lady. Fur her. How's this it went now, Harry? Oh, yes, the two little totties. I remember we had those two characters, Dolores and Rosie. Well, here we have Dolores and Rosie are on holiday in a French resort, having won the trip by a fashion competition in a Sunday paper. And we find the two of them taking the sun on a seat on the beach. Dolores, take your eye off of them lads. They're not looking at us at all. Anyhow, they're only movies, can't Kaylee. And what is movies, can't Kaylee? Well, it means dirty dogs in French, which is the same as Gurriers in O'Connell Street. I wish we had to have disdain at home. We never get men here. Well, I wanted to go to Scaries, but not you. Oh, no. Nothing less than France will stay on your stomach. But Rose, you meet people her i seen Dennis Johnson today. You know the playwright? No, no. He writes, uh, the old lady says nothing. <laughs> you know that one? He's from uh, Wexford. He's not from Wexford. Oh, he is so, Rose. He is. Didn't he write the play? The Moon on the Yellow... Uh, 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 uh. It's The Moon on the Yellow River. Oh, I never said it. <laughs> Anyways, I don't like French men. They're very masterline. Masterline, Rose, you wouldn't understand. No, I don't. Didn't that trumpet player at the orchestra see you home last night? Dolores, please don't mention that trumpet player. When he was kissing me goodnight, he absent-minded to be blue at top sea, and I had the wind up all night. <laughs> well, the fellow that I was with was Trelsbyn. He was what? Trelsbyn. Oh, now did he get that way? <laughs> oh, you mean Trey Bayong. Which means game ball. Rose, I mean the lad that was beside me at the dinner. Hey, why were you glaring at me all through the dinner? I should think I was. When the waiter asked you, would you like snipe? You held out your glass for it. Well... Well, you didn't know it was fish. <laughs> Do you know, I'll never learn the language. When I did ask the waiter for something in French, he laughed at me. Well, why shouldn't he laugh at you? Did you ask him for a slice of the manager? <laughs> You know, I think I'll stick to the English lads, but not the fella I met last night. Popped the wind up me when he told me he was an archaeologist. <laughs> you know, Rose, an archaeologist. No. I thought it might be infectious. Do you know, <laughs> do you know what an archaeologist is? Uh, well, uh, no. You don't? Well, it's a fella that mucks about with old ruins. <laughs> well, the nerve of him picking on me. <laughs> you looked awful when you came home. Your hair tossed and everything. I uh, know. He said he could go for me, and he did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Rosie, the French must be terrible fond of the Americans. There is a song about them. What song was that, said Dolores? You know the one that always thinning over her? Thinning? You know, what, the what? national anthem. The what? <laughs> the national anthem. No, 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 anthem, anthem, not anthem, Dolores. What's the difference? Well, an anthem is a piece of music. But Antrim is a place, a state of punishment, where the Irish have to stay before entering the Republic. Oh, Rosie, you're very academical. 
Anyhow, the French national anthem is not about America. So, 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 the call at the martial aid. Oh. <laughs> well, we'll leave it at that. Eh, did you see the Spaniard I was with? He said I gave him a funny feeling in his bandolero. <laughs> did he ask you to his hacky ender? Of course, you know what a hacky ender is. Of course I know, Rose, me silly. Have it with custard. And no, Dolores, you're thinking of a fiesta. Rose, I wish we could get fella. Look at your education, now look at her, finished in France. And polished off in Kimmage. <laughs> Rose, I liked that fella in the bar, Garcia. Who? Garcia, Rose. Garcia? Garcia. Oh, Garcia. <laughs> he was Spanish. He was what? Uh, Spanish. No, 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 not Sp a Spaniard. Like the other chap you met, you know, uh, is a person from Spain. Yeah. Spanish. Spanish is an onion from Moor Street. Oh, <laughs> I had a fella at the proposing point once during the war. We were doing a bit of buried practice, you see, and he was getting all sloppy and romantic, you see, and just as he was going to propose, what did I do? I know, Dolores, no, come on, let's go into lunch. But I didn't tell you what I did that stopped him proposing. I know what you did, dear. You took off your gas mask. I suppose you think I'm awful funny, don't you? <laughs> Um, that was only Maureen's beginning. It wasn't long before she began to get her feet. Well, after all, I was a dancer. Oh, you yes. were a dancer. Yeah, well, I'm still a dancer. <laughs> uh, and I'll go on being a dancer till they have to wheel me on the bath chair. No. And don't forget, Harry, that I danced with OD Productions for quite a while before... Um... No, 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 don't be shy. Don't be shy. Well, before you spotted me as a comic. A comic. <laughs> <laughs> the big moment of the theatre world uh, occurred, Larry, when May Tibble went off to get married. And poor Jimmy and Harry simply couldn't get anyone to replace her. And that's oh. exactly where you came in. If she's forgiven me for saying it, Maureen has gone places before then. As a kid, she was with Jack Hilton and Jesse Matthews in London. If you really want the lowdown, it was Maureen who started the war. Well, uh, not exactly. It was when I was dancing with Jack Hilton's company, we went on a continental tour and fetched up in Germany, in Berlin, as a matter of fact. There was a command performance for Hitler. And the bowl Fuhrer was bowled over by Maureen. Mm -hmm. Sent around a great big wreath of laurels, twice as big as herself, and an invite to tea and what have you in the chancellery, <laughs> if you please. And Maureen didn't go, if you please. The poor man was wild, <laughs> if you please. They say he never got over it. <laughs> well, it wasn't until she came back to us, however, that she really blossomed out as a comic. She created a whole lot of Dublin types and toddies. I always like to think of her in the song I wrote for her about the fashion fellow, you know? Oh, you mean the song about the H-line? Yes. The Christian Dior number? Mr. Dior, Oh, yes. Him. This is the way it goes. So you think I look queer? I'm the darling of Dior. They tell me me H-line is hot. Uh, the women all hate me, the fellows all date me, though this fashion quite cancels me bot. Said a lad in the Louvre, she looks like a Hoover. What's happened to Chasse, mon dieu? Then a painter from Pisa, standing by Mona Lisa, looked at her, then at me, and said, ooh. Oh, Mr. Dior, why do 
Now we all look like trees. It's enough to send us on the beyond. So self-aware to your passions. Combien do we have to look dumb? Très bien if our faces are lifted. But to heck with this dropping the tum. When I walked in Montmartre with a skirt showing gart, t'was a case of woo-woo, foo-lay-foo. When they said, Nelly Foley, you're really treasurely, I frowned and just answered, Napoleon. When I met Betty Whelan, she said, with some feeling, I couldn't wear that if I tried. Sybil Conley said, Nelly, your skirt's on your elbow. <laughs> Dear girls, I was fit to be tired. So, Mr. Dion, why do you make us so queer? You've exposed our poor knees. Now we all look like trees. It's enough to send us on the beyond. So here is the latest sensation. For every girl's wardrobe, a must. The latest atomic creation. But girls, this H-bomb has no bust. Well, by this time, the years were slipping past. Jimmy had long been established in the front rank of comedians, both in Ireland and the other side. Come, come, come. We'd made films, TV was yet to come. We'd done 50 or 60 broadcasts of the BBC and were being constantly asked for more. No. There didn't seem to be much we hadn't done, except put Jimmy on ice, and yet... Uh... I know what you're coming to. The Lost Railway, is it? The Lost Railway it is. Away at the back of my mind, I had a notion. If you want to know, I had the same notion myself, ever since I was a youngster. And since I played the part of Fierce, the old servant in the Cherry Orchard in the Hardwick Street Theatre. Well, I'd always a feeling that Jimmy could jerk the tears as well as draw the laughs. So one day I sat down and wrote a sketch called The Lost Railway. It was just the story of an old Irish station master on a small branch line somewhere in the back of Beyond. The station, the line and all that belonged to it were the pride of his life. His father and his grandfather before him had been station masters. And then there'd come nationalisation. And the branch line and the station had become redundant. And with them, of course, the station master. It was quite a simple little sketch, but it was different. For as I wrote it, there was a sudden switch near the end from rich broad comedy to pathos. And yet it was a pathos that could be played as comedy. Which at first I did. I, I know I was obstinate about playing it for laughs, but I just couldn't see myself doing the sob stuff. Then one night, just for divilment, I started playing it as Harry had written it. If there'd been a pin dropped in the house, you could have heard it. I just couldn't believe it. I, 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 I was terror-struck. But then it suddenly began to dawn on me that the audience were with me. And this, this is what happened. Uh, Tommy Stationmaster, um, what do you call this place, anyhow? It is the terminus for the Ballygo Backwards, my Vale and Green Valley Line, sir. Oh, Ballygo Backwards? I know I have no note of that. I'm the government inspector for the railways. But don't you know that the government has taken over all the railways and they've scrapped all these little branch lines? Scrapped? Yes. Do you know, Stationmaster, that officially... This line does not exist. Oh, be covered, it exists. All right, sir. If you look out through the window, you'll see plenty of lines there on the permanent way. Yeah. When did you hear from Kingsbridge last? Kingsbridge? Yes, headquarters. Oh, you mean Dublin? Yes. Ah, sure, we don't bother about Dublin down here, sir. 
Let me see now, I think it would be about 12 months ago. 12 months? No, I'm wrong, no, no, no. No, it is three, three years ago, that's right, the time of the fuel shortage. They sent us a letter wanting to know if we could run our engines on surplus government farms. Oh. We sent an engine up to Dublin. We sent it up to the Broadstone. You sent an engine to the Broadstone? We did indeed. <laughs> the Broadstone hasn't been a terminus for years. It's been scrapped and away with. Will you look at that now? They never tell us a thing down here. They just treat us with contempt. Oh, pick up. Pick up. That's why the engine never came back. <laughs> Sammy Sands drove it up and he never came back neither. But they say he got a job himself, though, no? in the CIE. Would that be right, oh, sir? Oh, really good. Oh, good you, you, you must know Sammy. I didn't know. A sandy-haired fellow. He wouldn't be five minutes in the city, but you meet him. I don't but he's know. clever with a tongue, with yes, a repartee. I'm sure he like is. Like the yes. brother. Yes, I'm you sure. You know the original? Sure. No, no. no. Well, I don't know him. And tell me this. What have you been doing for the wages for yourself and the staff? Wages? Oh, money? Yeah. Ah, well, you see, just like this, I look after the lads and myself out of the takings. <laughs> the takings? Running a railway all on your own? Then, of course, if we go short, we run an excursion. <laughs> an excursion? An excursion to where? Yeah, it doesn't matter who it, where it is, as long as we get three and a tanner per skull per man. You know what I mean, though? Well, I'll tell you what I have to do now. I have to close down this line. Close down the valley go backwards? Yeah, I have to close it down now. But that train out there on the platform will be the last train that'll ever leave this station. So you, you couldn't do a thing like that? Like, what would I do? Where would I go? I mean, oh, we'll pension you off. But they, they don't pension off Valley Go Backwards Station Masters, are we? We just drop dead. Do you know, I've been on this job, man and boy, for the last 40 years. And my father before me, and his father. My father was 90 when he died, and finished up doing the job in a bath chair. And his father was 100, what they call a centurion. Yeah. Well, I'm very sorry. I've got to clear all your papers, your stuff, and your furniture out of this office and onto that train. And that's the end of your little railway. Have you any porters in this dump? I, 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 any I, you I, I, I have a few yeah. lads that help me, but I, I, I mean to say... Furniture, please, and put it on the Dublin like train. I know, lads. Uh, wait a minute, lads. Lads, you can't do that. Right, come, come, on, come here. I know, Ginny, Ginny. I knew you before you were born. Look. Well, that's that. But, but couldn't we do something, sir? Couldn't we? Couldn't we send a deputation to the minister? He was very decent to us last year when we wanted boots for the staff. Sent us four pair. Of course, we only needed three pair. We flogged the other pair. But... Now, listen, mister. I'm afraid that when it comes to schemes like governments taking over railways, that the little people just don't matter. The little people don't matter. No, you see, the day of the little branch lines is over. I'm greatly afraid that your day is over, too. It's too bad, but that's how it is. Goodbye. Good luck. Hello. Hello, this is the... This is the Ballyg... This is the Ballygo Backwards Terminus for the Ballygo Backwards Mayo, My Vale and Green Valley Lines. I'm the... I'm, I'm the station master. Well, at least I think I was. What? The next train? There'll be no next train, sir. Oh, the last train, sir. Yes, sir. The last train has just gone, sir. No, sir. Not the last train for tonight. The last train for always. Good night, sir. The little people don't matter. Well, 
The lost railway opened up a new line for Jimmy, excuse the pun, and so we followed it up with the poacher and we travelled the road. <laughs> I was a smashing bottom with Michael and Hilton in a midsummer night's dream, you know. I remember one night, it was at the Gaiety. You know what I've got to tell you, Mr. Roddy, if you please, the curtain's waiting, the whole show is waiting. See, you see what I said? It's always the way. As soon as I start telling a yarn, there's always someone at the dressing room door with... Audacious to the last, the greatest thing in value for your dough. Romantic, quite frantic, dynamic, a panic, star-studded, full-blooded. Delicious, pernicious. Artistic, sadistic, it's flirty, it's dirty. And all that amounted to the O.D. story with, of course, Jimmy O.D. and Harry O'Donovan, who were aided and abetted by Maureen Potter, Faye Sargent, Danny Cummins, Dennis Brennan, Joseph O.D., Lionel Day, and Norman Doyle. The Radio Aaron Singers and the Radio Aaron Light Orchestra, leader Jack Cheadle, conducted by Dermot O'Hara. The original music by Terry O'Donovan, arranged by Ted Ruddle. Continuity script and production by Larry Morrow. Larry Morrow.